0: Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 38, Eric Roper. Eric Roper is an old friend of mine, used to be my best friend and uh, closest confidant and man crush and bromance and all that shit. We lived in the same apartment in the mid-90s in New York and pretty much saw each other all day long for a while there worked at the same place hung out together all the time we weren't at work and it was kind of crazy it was very fun though it's like Pancho and Cisco or Don Quixote and Pancho. I don't know who the hell who's who but um, we had a lot of fun together in the old days the olden days we started our first bands together I'm on bass and me on drums and redshift ruler it was called oh hey my name's Curtis Payne forgot to tell you that I've been trying to get in the habit of introducing myself uh, here on Tantric Conversation. Um, yeah, and this conversation with Eric got was very uh, meandery and tantric because uh, there's so much, we don't talk that much anymore and we don't live in the same city. And it's been, I guess it's been 20, almost, it's not quite 20 years since we really have You know, been in each other's lives But I guess there's so much to talk about That we really started talking about some mundane shit to begin with I so hope you're not disappointed Because Eric's a very interesting guy And um, he's done a lot of cool stuff And his artwork is great And, um, you know, you've probably seen artwork of his On covers of albums by High on Fire And Sleep And Merch and people as diverse as Buzz Oven and the Black Crows. He's been around and I haven't really kept track that well. Um, I was at a party at a friend's house last weekend and he pulled out a clothing catalog and Eric was on the cover of it modeling clothes. I didn't know he ever did that. But anyway, he's, just, he's a good guy. He's a Richmond guy. Grew up uh, here. His dad. Randy Anderson Gallery, VCU for a while, and used to live in a loft space on 17th Street by the Farmer's Market, and we went to the same high school, and go way back. There's really no excuse for how long it took this conversation to get going, but anyway, it is what it is, and you know, I'm committed to presenting what was recorded, even uh, when it sometimes it's could be cut out. Um, who knows, maybe you'll get something out of listening to us talk about that apartment in New York. Maybe somehow that will be a, an extremely revelatory moment for somebody out there. Um, yeah, so uh, life's good. Been driving all over town, meeting people, spreading the gospel of my job Restaurant Depot and been getting settled in to this house in Cedar Hill and Union Hill, Cedar Street. That's what I meant to say. Um, anybody got a Got anything they want to get rid of? Um, I don't like buying furniture. I prefer instead to have it come to me. So, let I me mean, know if you come across anything cool. I need, uh, I still need a futon. That should be able to be found in the alley, right? I should just go look in the alleys. I've been, been a while since I've been alley shopping. You all we'll go do that right now. Testies How's it looking. Testies. Ah, so, Merry Christmas, Mr. Eric.
1: Merry Christmas to you. Get off the dick, St. Nick. Hmm.
0: Now, see, I remember that being something I came out of my room and found on a cocktail napkin on the, uh, on the kitchen table, <laughs> and it just had Santa Claus with it, a little simple Santa Claus with his arms up in the air, like, get off the dick. What's your, oh. Is that how you remember it? We really need to market that.
1: Yeah, there's That's a lot of potential lie. in that one. <laughs> Um, I don't remember the origins. I just remember it being said after a certain point, And I, I guess I thought it came from that same party where we made the decorations. No. But that I guess was it was sp- later.
0: It was specific to you and me living on East 7th Street. All right. So and
1: you don't have
0: that apartment anymore. Correct. Can you tell me now how much they paid you to come off it? <laughs>
1: um, I got... 20,000 holy shit plus the deposit which was over 2,000
2: so it was
1: close to 20 2250 or so after
0: why a deposit
1: well you know there's a deposit on a place when you right? when when, yeah and then it keeps you they keep it around when you move out you get your deposit back so
0: you but I thought you were when you you are you still the guy whose name is on the lease you, I you was know.
1: until I moved out. Not anymore. It's not my place. So I how complete, could
0: you got to keep the deposit?
1: Because I, I was the only one on the lease for the past, uh, since you moved out. 10 right. years? Almost 10 years, I guess that was. Fucking fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Should have stayed. <laughs> Would have got a I, 1,200 bucks I out of it. I thought you were going to hold on
0: to it and keep it in the family. Well, I did for a, a while. $20,000 is a lot of money. It,
1: they were on to me. Well, the super was on to me. I could feel it.
0: He, oh yeah, you weren't living there anymore.
1: I wasn't even living there, no. I right. had moved out three years before the time I finally decided to give it up. Oh. I was l- letting a few friends live there and not making much of a profit on it at all. I just wanted to keep it around and mm-hmm. wanted to have people I trusted there. So I I kind of kept it because I was hoping at some point that I could sell it back to them, you know, get a buyout. To and, the realtors? Yeah, right. to the landlord. Mm-hmm and the place was kind of falling apart they hadn't done repairs in in a couple of decades almost yeah. the walls were cracked they didn't care obviously because i was paying i think i was paying about 1650 at the end of it and it was a three bedroom right. you know um so they just I, I wasn't a priority for them to to do any renovations. That whole
0: building was sagging towards. Yeah,
1: the yeah, it was sinking. But they they renovated a lot of the other apartments so that they could jack the rent up a lot. I never really saw what the newer ones looked like. But it seemed like it just take one good uh, pile driver
0: in the lot next door to bring it down. But
1: yeah, I, I mean, even if it were fixed up, I had questions about how stable that place was. But I mean, because it, it tilted. It's still tilted. I don't think they really would have fixed that. I guess they could have leveled the floors, but it doesn't change the yeah, fact no, that the needs, building needs was sagging.
0: Like, yeah, the part of it needed to be raised back up, like jacked up.
1: Yeah, it was missing half it's... of its of itself. <laughs> <you know? laughs> really? You remember when you looked out my window, There, were, that used to be an air shaft, and you could see this jagged edge of oh, yeah. brick along the side where somehow the other side, half of the building had been... They also divided out.
0: those rooms up, and they didn't necessarily put walls where there should have been walls. weren't load bearing walls. They put weight on top of things that wasn't supposed to have weight. Yeah. On it.
1: And yeah, it seemed that. Yeah. Really creative. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a perfect place for for the for the age that we were at. You,
0: and yeah, well, I mean, I was there for a nice little window of time in my twenties, but you lived there for fifteen years.
1: Yeah, fourteen. Fourteen years. years. Twenty till. Uh, 34, is that right? 20, yeah. I guess 20, 20 till 34.
0: Um, From it, the time you were 20 years old? until Yeah, yeah, that's what I, what I mean. 20
1: years old to 34. 1993 till 2007. Did you? I, even, that's when I lived there and I kept it for three and years. And you were or. in
0: SVA when you moved in there, School of Visual yeah, yeah. Arts, right? And uh-huh. That's how you got in there is you met Dave Aaron and... Uh,
1: yeah he had the place I knew Dave Aaron before he moved into that place we were in classes together and um, I was living in Jersey City he said hey you want to move into my place I got an opening at, I'm living in the East Village now and uh, I was like yeah sure why not and it was there was it was easy I just mm-hmm. came over moved in didn't have to sign anything my rent was $310 a yeah. month the entire place was 11 90 i think it was
0: it still blows people's mind when i tell them that i the time the whole time that i lived in manhattan with you in that apartment i paid about the same as what i pay now to live in richmond
1: yeah (laughs) i know that was that was astonishing that we that place just that we had that place i mean there's that's definitely a thing of the past for anyone in the, in there's the so happy. much coo-
0: cool stuff about that. Well, there's so much that's a thing of the past of that neighborhood and like that city in general, or so it seems. I mean, I don't live there anymore, but are there? Well, actually, I wanted to ask you this: like, when you, what made you decide to go to SVA in the first place? The yeah.
1: one thing that convinced me to go there was the fact that they had a cartooning department. Ah. I was into illustration but I wasn't so much into commercial illustration I was into basically drawing what I like to draw which wasn't comic books but it was um, you know just I mean, it's pretty much what I draw now mm-hmm. you know kind of uh, fantastic art for lack of a better word and uh, they had a comic book degree that you know a degree in cartooning rather and it was just so esoteric and specialized that i was really mm-hmm. impressed by that because i didn't want to do such a broad illustration degree that that i'd be doing commercial and and you could other have got, probably gotten the
0: bcu really cheap with your dad working there and all that oh yeah but, but no that didn't was anything like that then right? Oh, he wasn't working there then
1: oh yeah he was there no. he'd been there that was an easy one that was my backup i mean i, w- yeah. I would have definitely been in there if i wanted to and in some ways i wanted to go there just for the Probably because it was easy. You know, there's uh, there's a certain comfort easy level. Easy school
0: or easy to get in?
1: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> easy to get in, maybe an easy school. You know, it, I was intimidated to come to New York. I would, It wasn't my first choice in terms of a place to live. I was pretty close to going to Philly, you said you weren't in, in, intimidated.
0: I was intimidated. You, you were intimidated.
1: Was yes, yeah. I was intimidated. I didn't want to to move to New York. I was familiar with New York and liked visiting, but I didn't want to live in the. Well,
0: you were in luck. You got to live in Jersey City.
1: Uh yeah, yeah. I quickly, <laughs> I quickly uh, found out that Jersey City was was uh, not even as good as they. Made it seem in the movies, <laughs> especially where I was.
0: I remember that, like the two things I remember about that is that you were living in a high-rise apartment condo, and it didn't. It seemed like there was a- absolutely nothing else around there. Not a corner store. Nothing. It's just right. two apartment buildings sitting like in a former wharf or something. Like near yeah, the water. it was
1: right on the water. There were piers there. Um, it seemed to be the place where they tested out the use of razor wire. <laughs> Because there was a surplus of empty lots with razor wire fences around Why them, with nothing protected? there. It's, you know, people probably threw their weapons over there when they were on the run or it something. It may turn
0: out that there was a, like a um, Hangar 18 or something <laughs>
1: around there. Well, since then, it's been... They, they've thrown condos on top of it, and now it looks like some tacky riverside walk, I assume. I haven't been there in 20 years mm-hmm. or more, but... Um, I know that it's been built up, and now it's kind of a you know it's a just a you know a, a new condo experience, and there's the mall across the street, but there was oh nothing. Oh, yeah, that, right. The mall. Yeah, it was a it was a wasteland. The other
0: thing I remember is that if you did want to go into New York as close as you were to it, it was a huge ordeal. Right, it seemed like anyway it, to get to the any part that you wanted to be in anyway because it was.
1: Well, it was mainly because of the PATH train service, right. which was notoriously pathetic and um, would take, you know, on the weekends you could wait for an hour or so. It it ran infrequently. It was just a a really shitty way to go.
0: And that let you off still... Uh, a good ways from the East Village. like The well, furthest east it went was like Christopher Street or something. Yeah, like that, right
1: but that's there. not a bad place to get off. The, yeah. the It let you off on 9th Street and 6th Avenue, which is pretty prime, you know,
0: West Village. Still like a two-mile walk into the East Village or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to go to the East Village. But at that point, I, I mean, the East Village was only starting to become a destination for, you know.
0: Really? For, for Where were people, people hanging out when... You first got up there. Were you even aware of like what you became part of? This is a bunch of questions. Like most people go to New York, they just really want to be in New York, and the school is like sometimes secondary. Like they're just like you know, if I can get into a school in New York, I just want to be in New York. And you didn't feel a powerful draw towards that. um When did you start to really? Because now you are a, really a confirmed. You know, kind of borough guy can't call you Manhattan guy or anything. Hey,
1: <laughs> borough guy. Brooklyn is mm-hmm. pretty much what Manhattan used to be in a lot of ways. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's, in some ways, way more um, on the edge than it than Manhattan is anymore. So I don't think it's much of a compromise to be in in the interesting. Well, parts I'm not of Brooklyn. saying it's
0: a compromise. I'm just saying I w- that's more of an accurate thing to say. I guess a Brooklyn guy. But you were a new Manhattan guy for a long time. and Yeah. So to put those together in a lump term, I'm going to go with Burrow, like member of the five. You boroughs. could say New Yorker. Yeah, but that could mean that you're like living in Flushing or something, where I just was, uh, and that sucks. You know, yeah. There's nothing
1: cool about that. Okay, well...
0: But, uh, sp- the cool, I guess, or whatever that elusive quality that makes that that some people just have to have in their life, and and they stay there for the rest of their lives to be around it. Maybe it's not cool. It's just something that they don't think they can get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. When did that start to become a thing for you? You know, when did it start to be like, no, I I really do want to be in New York, and like I'm really getting a lot out of being here. And
1: I don't know. I think. It, it you know, in, in some ways, it's it's because I had such a good living situation that I stayed there. That Manhattan apartment was was sort of a golden handcuff situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a I had a good situ a good living um, circumstances, and I if I had if I didn't, then I probably would have left New York a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But, in some ways, it kept me there maybe longer than I wanted to be there, mm-hmm. and that could almost that could still be said. There's a lot of things about New York that you know that I'm not crazy about, of course, and would like to move on to other things and make changes in scenery in my life and and new horizons and things like that um so I stayed because I had such a good situation. It was affordable and then eventually it was more affordable than anything I could have found anywhere else anyway. And so I there was just no even if I wanted to move, mm-hmm. I couldn't have afforded another place probably without a lot of you know, without a lot of compromise, a lot And more you had income. designed
0: your life so that you could really just do what you wanted to
1: do. Yeah, <laughs> I always had such a low rent that I, right. I it didn't stress me to be in New York. I could be a busboy. I could um I could be a freelance artist. I could work part-time at an or art Or hardly handling. ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it also helps to not have to, you know, eat very often and, and not need much. But but living this subsistence-level uh, lifestyle in Manhattan was, was kind of a rare thing. I don't think it can be done much anymore um, off the sidewalks but uh it it worked out for a long time and it kept it enabled me to to live this very low stress lifestyle mm-hmm. and um you know that's not always a good thing it was good for the age i was and mm-hmm. um and it enabled me to get some footing and and then take my time with um getting you know building my career and do a lot of stuff that i probably couldn't have afforded to do mm-hmm. for as a career in other places where I really had to struggle. It's, kind of,
0: it's really ironic, as I think about it right now, that that's really the golden handcuff for most people is the cheap rent here. And the thing is that I guess in a lot of cases, it's that goes with not as much um, pressure to do the fact that it's low rent and low overhead and all that kind of stuff. There's not as much pressure to um, further a career in whatever it is you're doing you just get a job that pays the bills and you just have freedom you got to do that up there but you still you're always still very focused i mean i feel like like you said about college i mean you knew what you wanted to do at um... a very early age and you have pretty much done it right?
1: <laughs> yeah 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 i've i've been fortunate that i've been able to a lot of things i was in the right place at the right time but also i stuck with it I you know, I had some some natural talent for it, and it all kind of worked out in a way that I was able to stay in New York, which has benefited me in a lot of ways in terms of making connections and meeting people and and all that. Um, so, yeah, the apartment was almost like my 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 flying carpet in a way. It, it kept me floating while I got to stay in New York and do all mm-hmm. this other kind of stuff, which was contributing to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, I was ready for something else, but more, a little bit more comfortable
0: flying and carpet. to move on. This makes me think of dimethyltryptamine you know, all of a sudden.
1: <laughs> There's this whole,
0: like, <laughs> I don't even, you know, like, my my feelings about, like, hallucinogens have changed quite a bit i mean i was always scared of them anyway because they they you know changed my perspective so drastically and I'll, and usually it wasn't positive usually it was you know i think it was for me it was like suddenly i'm pulling down a um a wall of denial kind of a thing yeah. but it seemed like you really got to have like when we did those things like your experience <laughs> was more like a flying carpet, like in you, me, and Dave sitting on the. He probably wouldn't like that if I. Well, he, we won't say his last name. Yeah. Like, sitting yeah. on the carpet in <laughs> that apartment, you know, with him and his magi ways, like bringing over various pot, potency level. Like what was it? Terrence McKenna called it a, a heroic dose, or yeah, a, heroic know, flattening
1: dose. doses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really blowing the doors off. Um. Yeah, well, you know, it's different for everyone. That's why it's such a hard thing to, to categorize or classify or even I mean, have do you discussions think, about.
0: Do you think that, I mean, it seems to me now that like all of the things that I associated with that culture or what you're getting turned on to or what you're thinking about and stuff, I, I have just as much of that without partaking in those things. And it, mm-hmm. and it ends up being a more consistent, for me, a more consistent journey of like education or whatever it's not um there's there aren't the ups and downs of it
1: yeah you know
0: um
1: yeah well that's what that's what a lot of people's attitude is toward it that it is too up and down that the slow path is the steady path and, and all that and there's different schools of thought on it um i myself rarely have the time or 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 the courage to be honest to uh go into something that heavy these days um just to, because of what's going on in my life mm-hmm. I've, I've got a lot of responsibilities, I've got a lot on my mind, not in a bad way, but um you know life is different life is life is heavy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh see I think it felt pretty
0: heavy to me even then, you know, like I always like took the I could have been doing what you were doing, but I always took like on, like job, like big jobs that took up all my time, you know, to pay that rent.
1: Yeah, like, I was. Well, never, most people had full time. You, you had a full time job. Most actually, people that was did. because I, I needed idea. enough
0: money to drink and do all the other <laughs> things I wanted to do.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, um, but I mean, in in terms of your experiences with that stuff and why it was less comfortable to you i i understand completely i mean it's not as if i i can't relate to that i can relate to that more these days i'm i'm less fearless than i was mm-hmm. you know um i'm still you know i i, I think i probably on the same page with you in a lot of ways where i'm i'm growing in a way where i'm building on the stuff that i learned very quickly at a time back then mm-hmm. and um you know i kind of saw a lot experienced a lot thrived on it and i've integrated it in a way that's kind of kept me it's it's a reminder it it's also inspiration for a lot of stuff it gives me a lot of um a lot of uh you know stu- to go a lot of inspiration to go on in terms of um spiritual growth about what what consciousness is what's possible but it's not something that I could, you know, work back into my life very mm-hmm. easily at this point. And if I did, it would be much different circumstances because I wouldn't do it in the same way. You know, yeah. the, the context is uh, is important, and it would have to be in a more...
0: Um, more of a ritual more, environment? Yeah, area. a controlled
1: yeah. setting, less less spontaneous, less, you know, on the fly, where we would just decide mm-hmm. to do it, and 20 minutes later we'd be lighting right. lighting up a a bong full of uh, orange <laughs> crystals <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then frightened in my case frightened to go outside well you know the the thing i like i have an appreciation for now is that that's like p- was part of my journey you know like i have a I, I initially i think before i got to a positive phase or or a wiser phase of of knowledge and experience I thought of all so much of that as like none of it counts and none of it was useful because I somehow failed at living in New York and I failed at all of these things that you pretty much succeeded at. I I failed at the relationships and the jobs and the creativity and ran away from there with my tail between my legs. So I was like, you know, I can't refer to that time period, you know, um, as having taught me anything or having been positive because it it all culminated in that
1: because it led to something that you weren't happy with
0: right but ultimately now I see like no that really like it was a very early time where I realized like just how powerful like fear was for me like how being scared of stuff you know real or imagined mostly imagined like really colored everything that I did Mm. and um, I shied away from it for a long time and got further and further into denial like you know like Dave used to say the cheapest drugs you know like open your mind and the most expensive ones close it
1: right you know? yeah <laughs> people will pay a lot to not see the truth yeah
0: and I think what ha- would happen to me also is that like a big wall of denial would get shattered every time I like you know went into that stuff and you know but now I can see that the you know the positives of that whole that whole time period, it created a context for my practical experience with this stuff later. Cause then it was just like all neat ideas, you know, neat, mm. you know, just culturally cool things to explore, you know, and the, I don't even think drugs like hallucinogens made me think I was seeing anything I wouldn't see normally. It just felt like it went with all of the other things that I thought were cool <laughs> at the time, uh-huh. you know, but like, so much of this... I mean, there was so much stuff we I could talk about back then that I had no way of applying to my life. And now it seems like that was a really necessary phase in the getting to where I'm at now, which is a resounding success, as you can see.
1: <laughs> well, sure. I think you should look at it as a necessary phase because pretty much everything is. I mean, it's, it, it might not seem necessary for at the time or for a long time after, but... Um you know, it all leads to to where you're at, and where you're at is where you're at.
2: Right.
0: What have been, who have been your teachers along the way that like first got you so into, before you actually formally, formally pursued, God, art and in, in school. Like, who was pulling you into it early on, and, and you, then you mean art? Yeah, like. Well, all together, because I mean, you, you know, your drawing and, and the art that you create is connected to, you know, your whole outlook and things that you're into and.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, if, if you're talking about influences and, and things like that, or personal,
0: the yeah, the net's pretty broad, personal or influences or whatever. I kind of know what early on like stuff that you dug, like Robert Crumb, right? And
1: oh, that sort of Vaughan thing. Bidet yeah, like your influences. Like oh, yeah. The guy who did the Yes covers. And yeah, Roger Dean. Yeah, that was all. Uh, that was early. I would say early influence because I I wouldn't really cite those today so much. I don't think it's very evident in, in the kind of work I do, but obviously, you know starting as a a young teenager I, w- I was really into that sort of stuff um, i think i i still love it and appreciate it of course but i've i've moved on to mm-hmm. to different things in terms of my my interests so much in and art not i mean i i i still like um what some might call lowbrow art you know graphic novels comics things like that i that stuff to me is is not anything that is that, that's not below fine art
0: which ones do you like to me
1: artists um, no
0: or just the whole you the whole graphic novel or well I, artists too yeah uh,
1: i'm not up on the contemporary stuff as much surprisingly i don't really keep up that much i i like a lot of the old classic guys but i'm more into kind of classic illustration these days and um like a lot of the turn of the century illustrators mm-hmm. who were doing uh illustration um NC Wyeth and stuff like that mm-hmm. doing paintings and illustrations um but also i mean you know like 70s and 60s uh iconic um illustrators like Bernie Wrightson and and Frank Frazetta not a, you know, he's he's still still ranks high in mm-hmm. my opinion. I think he's up there with Norman Rockwell as one of the greatest pop painters of the 20th century. Yeah. And um there's no there's no denying that. I don't think that you know that there's anything wrong with acknowledging him as such.
0: Well, yeah, I
1: mean that kind of stuff is it that stuff speaks to me, you mm-hmm. know. It's not it's not because I'm a teenager anymore looking at Molly Hatchet. What is it that,
0: what is it that does appeal you about it
1: Um, it, you know there's a certain amount of escapism that I really love there's a the um the old head culture that that came up in the 60s and 70s just really still speaks to me I don't know a lot of it's nostalgia but it's also um the weird strain of uh, especially American um subculture that bubbled up from um, these things like eerie magazine and creepy magazine and mm-hmm. comics and movies, and creating this kind of uh this cartoonish um, often, you know dark, or at least you know, dark humor sometimes uh, sinister, uh, fantastic aesthetic that uh to me just kind of gets better with age Mm -hmm.
0: is it is it the aesthetic or the subject matter i mean you're not particularly into war and warriors and blood no
1: i mean the subject matter is is pretty silly often you know that's Mm -hmm. not something that you could really i don't think um it's it could be anything the subject matter um it's just, it's the quality of it, because I think that a lot of the stuff was extremely well done, mm-hmm. you know, and it's also, it's lighthearted because it's not taking itself overly seriously, but it's all, it's got the uh, quality of a lot of, you know, classic painters and mm-hmm. illustrators. So like
0: heavy metal and its original incarnation to mm-hmm. metal, hurlant, like yeah. everything, <laughs> what was in those magazines, not so much just like the. The movie, the animated movie, oh, yeah. like the way that shit looked. Yeah,
1: like, what, what was that the, was. was. The, guy's name with the, the uh, French guy. Mobius. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What those, what that was. You know, it was it was really radical, cutting edge um, graphic art. You know, it, to it, to me, it really kind of uh, lit my imagination on fire mm-hmm. and like took took me there.
0: Cock, that was like you. Wanna... <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: They're, they're rendering on those things just, it was as if that phallus i phallus is quite it was here. as it was as real as this microphone in my face <laughs> um <laughs> there's a lot of uh, really ridiculous shit in there too don't get me wrong i mean some half of the art in those heavy metal magazines is total bullshit and i look at it today i'm like how the hell did this get published? Is really
0: i i don't know what it is i had th- like i have a a real love for that aesthetic, and I don't like know where I got it. It's just like it—it it was happening behind the scenes at a certain time in my life, and you got—I gl- got glimpses of it every yeah.
1: now and then. Yeah, it's—it's it's yeah. the age we were. So it's mm-hmm. the time that we happened to be the, coming up. You know, like there was things were weird in the seventies. I'm—I'm mm-hmm. not. You know, I—I I think that's objectively true. Mm-hmm. You know it was just weirder, I mean eighties were what they were. There was some cool shit. there was much more awful bad taste stuff. but I think we we're being the age we were in the seventies and early eighties. it really um like the the it was a combination of weird drug culture meeting with uh pop aesthetic, and it filtered down into all of media and mm-hmm. the music um comic books um mainstream art and it and it hit at a good age you know it had a had an effect on and not, i've heard a lot of other people say the same thing from our yeah, generation i was like, no,
0: showing you this keisha books downstairs like that's that's an aesthetic like it's a weird dark kind of um i mean it's a children's book but there's something a little scary about it even mickey in the night chick- kitchen like marie Sendak, said there's something a little um sinister about this stuff and i wonder if it's like particularly like like in general like culture of americans was like an individual before they get stoned for the first time and really kind of buying into something buying into a lot of assumptions and like really not ever looking at the Seriously, in the pop culture, like in the mainstream, looking at the dark side, let's like really just kind of saying like, you know, maybe it's the backlash of the Ozzy and Harriet sort of, um, what do they call that, the Eisenhower era and shit, where things were so brightly colored in Norman Rockwell, like you said, and and like just so kind of like perfect and, and people just sort of sanitized and cleansed and turned their eyes away from something. It was like the apex of like, of disavowing some side of life and then, it, mm. then a lot of people had bad trips in the 60s the children of those that generation and then they they have this crazy kind of schizophrenic thing happen of growing up like that with that idyllic kind of thing and then going really fast into a kind of a nightmarish, horrific because they're not only doing hallucinogens and shit and listening to adventurous music but there's war and race riots and like yeah, all of this yeah. fucking Vietnam War and like
1: Yeah. Civil rights
0: movements and all of yeah, that. Yeah, there's
1: violence. You know, there's violence. There's there's people opening themselves up in, in ways that haven't been done in this
0: and what part of the world. Is some horror, yeah. And know, what they're, like they're being
1: exposed to is, you know, the Vietnam War. Um you know, yeah, racial violence. Um police violence society pretty much fracturing and mm-hmm. and at odds with itself and and meanwhile they're distilling their childhood into this and it's coming out in odd ways mm-hmm. in art and pop culture Yeah, there's a melancholy to those those children's books from the 70s that's what i feel from it there's a melancholy you know that's not um it's not happy all the time there's something about it that's a little bit it's dark but in a really soulful way, mm-hmm. and that's why I think they stand up really well i mean because we've there's a lot of i guess there's always been a lot of mindless stuff mm-hmm. to go on the surface of of every every um, every decade every generation but I feel like at that time there were a lot of people who were really affected by by just what was going on, I think and they wanted and it came out and especially children's books I noticed. Um I think people wanted to say new things too. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to say that the that, that life wasn't all about puppies and flowers and and A B mm-hmm. They wanted to say that, you know, kids lived in the city and sometimes they didn't have a, a right. father a
0: lawn and they didn't have a white picket fence. Or, yeah. or a parent. Right.
1: And you know, living situations weren't ideal, and there's this kind of there's there's yeah there's a sadness to them that I think mm-hmm. is really really profound in a way, and really makes them a great in that sense. You know, they wanted I, people wanted to convey that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It makes you want like
0: I'm sitting here imagining like all of these different sort of psychological um, profiles for why it was like that, or these or or context or excuses. I, I don't know what like. On the one hand, people coming out of that era couldn't help themselves. I think, you know, that that was just there, you know, and they may not have even realized or thought about whether or not it was really appropriate for children to be getting exposed to this stuff. Or they may, the really good people really knew that kids were already living like that, and they always have, and, like, it's far more, like, um, universal (laughs) for children to be, you know... It really actually familiarized what they start with, which is afraid of you know, fear of things that go bump in the night and what's under my bed and all of that and he's like, Well we'll show you what's under your bed, we'll pull it the covers back and yeah, things mm-hmm. do go bump in your, in the night. You're not hallucinating, you're not you know, it's not all right. There are like there are things you
1: legitimately should yeah, be looking out for. There are things that you shouldn't be sheltered from so much. There are things you should be aware of. And, but but you know, hopefully presented within a magical context that that you retain a
0: mythical kind of context. Yeah,
1: yeah. retain retain the magic of childhood. Don't don't make it seem like you know life is all harsh and uh, you have to abandon that by any means because life is not one or the other. It's a lot of both, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to and and how remember. much it is
0: of both in a lot of cases has to do with your perception. And what you feed, and like how much you want to color it a certain shade because mm. of your bent and your lack of a desire to turn it another way, you know? Yeah. Especially if that's negative. I mean, but that's the thing that I haven't thought about till talking to you that it's just now is that, like, the, you know, maybe the adults that came out of the 60s and 70s who were children of the 50s, you know, really were like feeling that they had been they had been sheltered and bullshitted and had the wolves pulled over their eyes and they didn't want that context for the next generation. And you were raised by people who were very, very mindful of not playing too much on social conventions of, you know, uh, I don't know what you'd call it really, like just standard issue. um.
1: Yeah, they they both uh, turned away from the standard... 50s traditional conservative lifestyle which they came from for the most part I mean not extremely so but they came up in very what you'd call normal households and but they were artistically minded they were quote unquote artists for lack of a better term and they were also socially conscious and you know they they went off and they moved to New York they decided to pursue that and they they were surrounded by people who were into that too. They and they lived that way. And they had no interest in going back and, and becoming like uh, the cleavers again, mm-hmm. you know. That that was never an option. So I was raised w- with that in mind. You know, they they exposed me to a lot of things. They were they weren't uh You're um, not you are not
0: going to get this Ozzy and Harriet Foundation, you're gonna go from what they've learned and where yeah. they're at.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, they weren't. They weren't um, reckless about it. I mean, I, I was well taken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, parent, uh, yeah, He was much more. <laughs> he was far more liberal even than uh, than my parents. That was a friend of the family.
0: How did you guys end up all the? It was. Are your your Eric? Your father's Leon Roper, and your mom is Donna. Is that yeah, right? that's right. And we'll, and they they were they married. They how long? were they married or?
1: they were married for well until I was 12 okay. and a few couple of years before that so a while
0: and then you guys lived in a uh dual family with the shields at one point um
1: or? we didn't live in the same house we lived we shared we basically lived in residences that were theirs at different times when they weren't living there we lived in their place in New York after her mother had moved somewhere else and then we came back to Virginia. We lived in their house. And the one after, in Ashland? Yeah, after mm-hmm. they had moved out. So it was always, we were just always right next to each other, so to speak, in terms of living, and, and it was a very close situation. And so there
0: was another house on that property in Ashland, and you guys? Yeah, we, oh, okay. yeah
1: just through the woods. This, mm-hmm. um, But, we, you know, it, it was practically next door because there was nothing else around. So it, it had a very uh, close-knit kind of communal vibe to it. Um, but we weren't actually under the same roof at any Mm -hmm. time, but, um, everybody was close. They, they were friends from college and there was a, you know, and they were shared a lot of the same philosophies as ourselves. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, me, me spending time with her family and vice Mm -hmm. versa.
0: I, you know, I, I remember now and it's weird, like, I didn't think this was going. I mean, I could see it's going somewhere now, but when I first started talking, I didn't necessarily think this was going anywhere. <laughs> when I started talking about fear, but like, I remember thinking then, because I, my, even though I was growing up in Churchill and there was definitely not Ozzy and Harriet shit happening outside of the confines of my house, my mother still tried to make it very much like that inside the house. And not in that denial way, but like, n- this is polite, nice, like, not the hip- hip- hypocritical polite, but like, you know, nice, caring, compassionate, loving, like, you know, complete nurturing household. And I'd walk out the door and it was, you know, not like that mm-hmm. all around. But, um, you know, I felt, even though that was going on, I felt very, um, I, 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 on some level, like when we, you and I were closest friends in new york that you had benefited a great deal from being raised by people who had really you know thrown some of that out and 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 had you you know that at first you know leonard you know i I just remember him saying various things to you and doing you know putting on different acts for you and you not you being exposed to that kind of thing at early age you weren't as like fearful as i was like you know i i had a lot more of like um I think there was more of um, an illusion trying to assert itself for me. (laughs) I mean, not being able to face reality, which is, you know, some kinds of reality. Just not having a comfortable relationship Mm -hmm. with it. I mean, like, when I had to face it, it wasn't... I wanted to deny it. I didn't want to, like, integrate it. And I think you were raised by people that, you know, had you integrate it a little better.
1: Hmm. Well, I don't know. Possibly. Um, Probably just worked out that way somehow. I mean, it's not... You know, Self confidence plays a big role in mm-hmm. that, and I don't know where that comes in. Um, but um, you know, it's getting back to what you said about your mom kind of, cre- you know, being more taking care of the house and, and sort of creating a, such a, a nice. Situation that was a little bit more traditional for you. That was probably a good thing in context of where you lived, because yeah. um, if you had had a completely free-form household lifestyle, and you lived in Churchill uh, at that time, it might have been a little bit too loose. Mm-hmm. You might have yeah. you might have not had any boundaries, and you might have it might not have worked out so well. I think your pro- parents did a great job. Yeah, of I, keeping mean, a beautiful I guess I home. shouldn't say I don't
0: mean to cast that as. A regret kind of a thing but I just remember thinking that in New York just as a difference yeah and and like and I don't ca- I mean, because I really do like the way that all the threads have lined up for me now like having whatever you want to I have that self-confidence that I didn't have then and it's not self-aggrandizement I just like I you know I know who I am and I'm like I I'm convinced of my right to be who I am like there's not that sort of codependent like do you think I'm okay how about you you uh-huh. yeah. yeah it's like no i mean every you know you either are okay with who you are or you're never going to be satisfied with whatever el- whatever other form you try to find to fill that need
1: yeah know? well but new york is the kind of place that brings that out you know you we we both you especially having just arrived dived into the deep end of um of a scene that was kind of forming, but was was very much, um, you know, had a lot of superficial values to it, even though it, it wasn't it, it wasn't nearly superficial as it could have been, or a lot of other things were. But, uh, you know, you it's impossible not to kind of. Doubt yourself, I think, when you are jump into this uh, place where everybody's kind of you know looking good and mm-hmm. and feeling good and, and got
0: the money and
1: doing good things, yeah. you know, doing flashy things. And we carved out our niche really well, and mm-hmm. so did our friends. And we didn't have to play the really, you know, the really sleazy, tacky money game. Well,
0: but now it's but you're like still sh- in New York, you know, and yeah. you're still
1: seeing all this stuff around, yeah. and and there's you still go to parties where you're around it. And then you're, you're part like, well, of that I'm
0: context one way or the other. Yeah, you know? and then you
1: it's, in, it's inevitable to not look at yourself and be like, whoa, am I, do I belong here or am I good enough for this?
0: I mean, but that was an acute, that was a really acute feeling for me when I lived there and especially when I first got there. And I mean, maybe some of that's being 24, 25 years old. But what I wanted to say is that now, I mean, I will like, after having gone through what I've gone through and like, I mean, I've looked, stared into the abyss you know with like drug addiction and shit like that i mean i've like gotten found myself in really scary places and like gotten uh you know and and found myself in a nihilistic simultaneously nihilistic and narcissistic (laughs) kind of uh existence that uh, probably the only thing that ever allowed me to come back out of it was like you know the upbringing i had that was like you know i'm like on the end of that the other end of that rope where you go in and poltergeist you know like I, I went to that poltergeist area and there were some you know i got i was pretty well anchored like i tell my uh-huh. parents that all the time like you guys didn't fuck up at all like if it hadn't been for you i probably would have been exposed to all this shit and i just would have gone all the way yeah you know and never come back
1: yeah you yeah. had roots and that yeah they, they served you well yeah
0: but you've always been good at i mean and i think self-confidence is a I mean, you have very consistently, in a way that I don't th- see a lot of people do, in a what seems like a straight line, you know, pick a thing and work on it and and keep working on it and get it to you know where it is, you know, and wherever that is, you know, and wherever it's going and all of that. It's it's a pro- it's prog- it's progress. It supports you. It's all of that. I mean, you've. You seem to have known, like in a way that I've never knew anything, never known about anything. That that was like really what you wanted to do, and been able to sit down and work hard on it. Mm. And
1: yeah, it th- it might have <laughs> been just the the lack of confusion on what I wanted to do. I there was just I've never faltered in in feeling that I was, you know, drawing specifically creating art, in other ways as well. But drawing has always been my thing i mean music is a is a close second but i never considered that as a career over over making art and i've
0: oh, yeah, just you always played a lot of music
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and that's i mean i i think that would have been any, my my career had i not chosen to focus on visual i mean yeah visual art but um i don't know it's it just it was just something that always was my calling, or it wasn't even as uh, defined as that? It just was what I did, and mm-hmm. what I wanted to do, and I also was kind of relentlessly unapologetic of or what I was into too.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: I, I liked what I liked. I try. I I try more confidence. And, there. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's I've got plenty of insecurities. It's not that I don't, um, but in terms of of my what we're talking about here, in terms of um, you know what I've chosen to do with myself and career, I, it has always just been kind of like a straight, clear path. I think mm-hmm. is what I mean. There've been there've been some some things here and there that I that I may have um, some leaps I could have taken maybe to make things go a little faster, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I'm glad that I get to do it. But that isn't right. I mean,
0: I, those things. I guess you're talking about like times when you've had jobs at like MTV or whatever, like mainstream kind of things that you really wanted to court that world. You could... oh yeah,
1: yeah. I I, I enjoy working in that world too. I'm mm-hmm. I, I like commercial art. I really like the stuff that John Goldberg does. I think um, I admire that. He's he's that takes much more of a um, what would be the word? I don't I think business sense is the right word. But he's got something that he's good at, aside from drawing, that allows him to be something like an art director. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Maybe that's in me, but I'm probably more cut out to be the guy who he hires to mm-hmm. do such a thing, or somebody else hires to do such a thing, not, hint, not be the one. Hint,
0: if you're listening.
1: <laughs> no, that, that was not a hint. Eric needs um, to hire you now. No, no, no. John, John's john got it going. I heard his podcast.
0: You're, you're, you're right about that, and it's, and it's even more of an it, in, um, ephemeral Or ephemeral. Is that how you pronounce that? I I say ephemeral. Ephemeral. Ephemeral
1: Ephemeral sounds like a radio station. Yeah, it does. He,
0: um, his aesthetic ability, which isn't just an aesthetic ability, it is a logic. And it is an undeniable logic to him. Like, you know, I, I worked very briefly on something, a pitch that he was doing. And, like, I was going for pretty obvious, I guess, kinds of things, you know, columbia business school or whatever and i was just like hey i know location 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 right or whatever and he wasn't ta- working in anything that um literal or direct or or whatever it was but there was something direct going on you know it was a communication through aesthetic recognition aspiration you know all of this psychological stuff and, and that he really groks mm-hmm. into you know it being having a practical use, I mean, it is still art, but it is like really about communicating and convincing, which is really, uh,
1: yeah, that's the big picture, you know, that's art communication, that's what advertising is, it's about psychology in a lot of ways. It's about, you know, that's it's a big world and it's a big thing to understand. And people who are good at it are really effective, mm. and you, it's it, that's different than, than. An artist, I mm-hmm. think, although you can be both, and John, I think, probably is both. Um, an art and it helps
0: director be... is somebody else entirely.
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, put all that stuff together. Yeah, I hopefully, mean. an art director has an art background. Hopefully, yeah. they have talent and experience as an artist. Otherwise, that's kind of like, you know, being the president of a company where you didn't work your way up, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Don't know anything about what anybody's doing there.
1: Yeah, but it's a it's a, PR and, um, and advertising and things like that where you're affecting uh, people on a large scale. It's a pretty serious business, and it's got you know it could it well, could be used for good or evil. Right. I mean, and that's
0: kind of where I mean when I when you and I were friends in New York, I felt like I was I was 100 convinced that it was just evil, and you know because I had been seduced by things coming out of New York you know, for many, many years, and to get there and realize how, mu- how much like Oz it is and how much there is really a man behind the curtain. It's a, a handful of men, you know, with a lot of money. And all of this stuff that, that you think you're choosing that is pop culture has been artfully crafted, you know, it's <laughs> practically propaganda. You know, it's like oh, really... Oh, yeah, it is propaganda, you
1: know?
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. It's just from a different sector instead of it coming yeah. from... What we think of as the government, it comes from our real masters and overlords. Yeah, the you know the one percent
1: more effectively <laughs> too, because the government yeah. hires these people to right. sell things that they I thought want.
0: work for. The government work for them. <laughs> I mean, it kind of does. I mean, you, they'll let them pass some legislation every now and then because they know they're going to figure out some loophole around it, you know, or they already have it in their back pocket. But, but to recognize that this is not going away, like, and you could just, you, if you, that there are people needed in that field, whether it's, you know, PR work or advertising or whatever, they're going to tell the truth. And they really are about ethics and really are about things actually being what they seem to be, you know, like telling the truth. That things do. There are things in the world that have value that when you say it's got value, you're not lying. You're not bullshit, mm-hmm. you know. And it's increasingly easier to figure out the difference now if you desire to, yeah. you know. But there's a very, very good generation of people who don't desire it. You know, who really do prefer to just have that the wool pulled over their own oh, wool, yeah, shorn sure. from their bodies, pulled over their eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. Fortunately for the for the uh, <coughs> the pushers, there are a lot of people who are ready to to uh, suck that stuff up with a straw. Um, yeah, I know, and now more than ever, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many platforms for uh convincing people they need some, certain things that it's 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 like some kind of dystopian future already where everything is is an ad.
0: Except the, the positive thing about that and I was watching something about Philip K Dick recently is I think that f- there are a lot more people that have l- gotten have have a much better grasp over what is actually going on um because of this communication network, you know mm-hmm. because of the that I mean it has a yin and yang to it, like everything else, you know, and it could be for lies, you know, yeah, <laughs> or it could be for truth, and there's a whole lot more people that have a lot more of an idea first of all that there is lying going on, and there the assumption is that there's lying going on, yeah and then that there are avenues to find out what the truth is sure
1: yeah it's a double-edged sword I mean it's it's a tool that can be used and for for different means and but you know that's that's the getting into thinking that everything is a lie is another quagmire that people also fall into where they mm-hmm. think everything is manipulated right. everything is is a under control yeah that's that. that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a disease of thinking sure is mm-hmm. where where you think that you're onto something that's mm-hmm. that prob- turns
0: into paranoia
1: yeah it's paranoia yeah. yeah you you you're, you think you're onto them mm-hmm. but what you're onto is something that you've exaggerated in your mind there might it be becomes something. a psychosis yeah and then yeah. it becomes something that that uh pretty much defines your thought pattern it's mm-hmm. a, you see it all the time it's and that's kind of the bad side of too much information, I guess. You know, We're in a world where you can get as much information as you want. You can find something to back up every belief that you might come up with.
0: That's interesting, though, because I think, for me, that was a built-in thing, regardless of how much information I did or didn't have. I had the kind of mind that generated suspicion and doubt and... If I always believed that I was seeing the truth if it was negative, like it was if mm-hmm. it was at odds with like some kind of uh positive self-image, then that was probably true you know <laughs> and yeah. if if the behavior of other people confirmed that you know belief that you know that, that the positive self-image was a lie, then that, I, that was correct it, yeah, yeah, and there was this very strong feeling like, yep, you're on to it you know, which is really weird because like, I mean, that really was a natural pattern for my head to generate. And I don't, you know, I I think it just, I just kind of came out like that, like came out of the womb like that. But, um, but it's totally, I mean, and there's, there's this fine line between recognizing that not everything is true in the way that you think it's true, that there is an illusion that like, all of what we call reality are just patterns of thought and patterns of perception and they are they are sketches that we are either really invested in because we need them super bad or or there's you know um, there's sketches that are just functioning as the, our best guess because we have to operate in this world but they don't define and they don't ultimately um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, contain the actual nature of reality of anything like m- none of the ideas that we have none of the things that we have named contain you know the whole of of reality uh, you know I, I was listening to actually was watching Doctor Who and um, Doctor Who himself starts talking to this child in about science and about all the amazing things of like carbon and uh, oxygen and nitrogen and all of the elements and all of that and, and I realized there's no difference between him and a priest right now because those things are equally like made up and mythical. yeah you know
1: yeah that's that's one of the things about science that um, well science is a bit above criticism right now that's Mm -hmm. it's science cannot be criticized at this moment in history because it's still riding this wave of against religion mm-hmm. you know we're still experiencing this backlash against religion so science has to be unquestioned and it's of course the irony is that it's become a priesthood you yeah. know it's and that's such such as the way it goes when when opposites get to extreme they become mm-hmm. like them each other
0: yeah and when I mean these guys are such prophets and people listen to what they say right. but the same abject kind exactly and, and attention.
1: they're hypothesizing to a degree that's not vastly different than than somebody who's making claims based on their own vision. Yeah, I mean granted yeah. they're backed up theoretically often by other people, but the it,
0: only difference is you can demonstrate the possibility of this stuff existing through a bunch of formulas that, that they have invented themselves. In fact, the formulas in a lot of cases are what made those things manifest. Like there are no quarks without math because nobody could see a quark and nobody can perceive a quark. They can only infer that a quark exists because the equation doesn't
1: work. Yeah. It gets really, it gets really, really vague. You know, I, I feel like, um, there's, what's the, who said this? Um, the map is not the territory. I don't don't know who that was. Or another Uh, way I was
0: thinking of putting it is don't, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah the way they des- they're describing things, but that's not what they are. You know, right. they can, they can they can talk about these abstract things, but it doesn't mean anything to most people because most people have no experience with them. It's all mm-hmm. it's all just a concept that doesn't really impact their lives, other than they're expected to believe this from people. Mm-hmm. These educated guesses mm-hmm. by people with degrees, and um, you know, I, I think, yeah, it's it's not allowed. Criticism of science is not allowed. Yet, it's constantly being rewritten. It's constantly being updated. Uh, it's one of the most malleable things out there. Mm-hmm. But until the wave of opinion within itself turns and decides that this is now true and that's not, you're not allowed to say that until they say right. it themselves.
0: It, it, I, it just, it's funny that it, it happened to me while watching something like that, that I realized, I mean, I have a healthy skepticism, but in general I've really enjoyed um, science talk as one of the fingers pointing at the moon to me of like the enlightenment of the ultimate nature of things. I, But I never realized before how that there is an evangelical zeal, like, on the part of many mm. scientists. Like, that they can they be really, like, fucking asshole in their atheism. Oh, hell know? yeah. I like, mean,
1: Dawkins is Not a...
0: even have a reasonable <laughs> fucking conversation about it without yeah. like, completely denigrating the person around Yeah, I mean,
1: Richard Dawkins seems like a total prick. I mean, mm. the, the way that guy looks at anybody who who expresses something that doesn't fit within his box is just like... Guy, is, it looks like a real asshole. Yeah, he could and, just
0: be a cardinal in. Yeah,
1: and and the stuff that he does. I mean, I've I've read, I've read books by other scientists who are who are approaching the scientific method from a much more objective standpoint, trying to test things that mm-hmm. exist that we know exist that science won't acknowledge, but everybody's got experience with it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. Richard Dawkins, for example, won't even have a conversation with a person who's not on board with what he has dis- has deemed as part mm-hmm. of the writ. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and he's just the most popular face of this this clergy.
2: Mm-hmm. It's funny I
0: brought about. him up the other day because I was I can't remember why I was like I was comparing him to Stephen Hawking and uh, and like I mean he thinks. Stephen Hawking's just like a cartoon character I think at this point like the the kind <laughs> of scientist that Rick Dawkins is they don't I mean cuz in a lot of ways uh um Hawking is still a, a Newtonian um and uh, an Einstein I mean he's still kind of like really absolutely believes in that what that first law that matter is neither created nor destroyed and and those guys are all saying no that's old hat it you know you're, if if that's your premise then you're already like you know irrelevant
1: you're outdated already
0: yeah and then i i don't remember why i was talking about this but it really dawned on me like i got to watch those guys you know i i mean like anybody like anybody that's telling you something that you're believing you're replacing your own self confidence with you know a, a allegiance to anyone else's ideas you know, in toto, without any level of questioning or penetration or whatever, there's um, something you need to watch and you just stop, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of, it's amazing how, um, you know, you're, you're supposed to question things. You're supposed to be skeptical, but not them. You right. Know? Not, not this. You just have to be like, all right, these guys know what they're talking about. It's insane to question them. I mean... Why is it pr- I mean, when I there's
0: this great show and I talk about it a lot on here called On Being with this woman Krista Tippett and she'll get she I think she's a a person of faith and I don't know what her faith is, but she's also a person who fully believes in rational dialogues around all kinds of of Gnostic sort of spiritual experiences. Um, And so she, you know, really entertains, brings in a lot of scientists onto this show right after having, like, totally, like, spiritual kind of guys. And, you know, the the scientist guys are the least, like, um, they're the the least willing to entertain new ideas on that show. They're the most abrasive in, like, they don't argue these things down. They shout them down, you know, like we're fucking talking head politicians, you know. Right. pundits and yet i mean they they speak as if their knowledge is absolutely disproves the existence of something else and it's a to me it's a completely different context of of things i know why i was thinking of this because we were talking about uh, eating of the tree of knowledge the other day like and i don't know how i was in this rambling caffeine-fueled conversation with a guest that morgan Ooh. had over here and i went knowledge with a k that's not really knowing nothing it's not gnostic right that what we ate of was this being convinced that we could figure shit out That's you know the illusion or delusion that your intellect that rational thinking and all of this stuff was the answer that there was that that was it you know the be all end all you know Uh, the complete you know like that's the biggest okey doke like, I've always thought of it like we ate of the tree of, like, enlightenment. No, we ate of the tree of knowledge. And knowledge can, like, I know that already, you know, without having had any experience with it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not a it's not a real thing. It's not in your bones, whatever. You're like, right. I know
1: people went to the moon. Really? Right. It's not experiential knowledge. It's, Which is what gnosis is, you yeah. know? It's like the deep, you know. Yeah. Science doesn't deal with with uh experiential knowledge you know science doesn't deal with uh, object you know subjective realities so i guess you could say, but no business talking but about. yet that's all life
0: is yeah. you know
1: they, that no one's got anything except except subjective experiences right. so what science is talking about is the components of of what makes up the world we're living in—it's not doesn't describe anything no, about maybe the way the we obsessed. perceive or live within it. Really,
0: yeah, they're, they're, right. It, it it doesn't, but it has to do with the greatest like uh, barrier to our actual liberation, which is you know needing to define all of this stuff. Like they've gone to this extreme, this obsessive extreme of coming up with consensual language to talk about things that you can't really get, you will never get. A lasso around, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. They're they're kind of playing a game that's that's um, where it's they're untouchable because they're they're using a language that most people can't compete with, mm-hmm. and therefore they can call them out and, and as not being on their level to even debate them. Right.
0: Yeah, and there's the cool thing is most spiritual people say that that's okay because you will never convince me <laughs> otherwise yeah. with that. You
1: know, yeah the irony is is staggering um Science is very good at taking things apart and figuring out what they're made made of. It's not good at explaining why it, it exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. you know it's like it, it it can't explain what why we are even having this conversation or mm-hmm. or why science exists in our minds you mm-hmm. know it's not something that can explain the nature of things, despite all its, its, uh, its pretenses and it's, um, you know, it's very good at a lot of things. Of course, we're not saying it's not, you know, it's vital and certainly can't have the opposite, Mm -hmm. uh, lack of science, lack of scientific method. But it's just, I mean, I don't know how long this is going to go on before it kind of, it's got to merge, you know, it's got to merge with some sort of understanding of reality that's more intuitive, I think, Mm -hmm. before it can grow. And it seems like it's happening. A lot of people are would agree with what we're saying right here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's not it's not very far fetched to to say that you know science. It's not a radical thing to say that science is yeah, bogged like
0: down in its own hubris. Yeah, it's 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 in you know in in the same sort of uh, its own sort of dark ages in, in the midst of uh, yeah. in, enlightenment or.
1: It's, it's time to move on. It's got to move on. It's got to merge. It's got to bend a bit in order to evolve because uh, it's going to be left by the wayside like old religions are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if it doesn't start explaining what it claims to explain. People aren't interested in hearing more denial about All everything, right. you know? Yeah, and also it's like how much... I
0: mean, I don't know. I mean, I, there's actually a movie out now with Johnny Depp in it who uh, experiences the uh, Kurzweil singularity thing it's got morgan freeman and johnny depp and johnny depp actually plays a computer programmer a scientist who actually makes the oh. transition from you know physical to digital
1: world oh <laughs> i do not know it yeah i, I forget I what it's called it. it's
0: coming out soon um but like that kurtzweil idea of i mean it kind of introduced me to a different thinking is that like What we I was for a while there I was like you know all of our technological advancements that have been going on for like the last twenty or thirty years have created nothing but speedier uh, dissemination of information and like and communication and like what like ultimately what good is all of that but the more that this kind of thing goes on the more I'm like oh it's it's like if the human you know it's that noosphere kind of shit you know. that all this is a, a speeding up of the greater human intelligence, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and it's not artificial, it's, it's an extension of that. Like, we reached the end of what we could do organically with what we were born with, and we took that, now we're enhancing that, but the stuff we're enhancing it with is still part of the natural world. Silicon comes out of the natural world, electricity is the natural world, all of that stuff's natural. And it's our natural um, thing as an animal, the same way that you know building nests is a bird thing, for us to build better tools, you know, to build tools to get us where our hands can't, you know, or our arms can't, you know, we can't, our yeah. legs. You yeah, know.
1: it's an extension of our abilities. To, tools are an extension of our own abilities, and you. I mean, and then but, but that brings up questions like, are robots? the natural progression of human intelligence again yeah, I don't think them. there's
0: gonna be an either or I think it's more like what Ray is talking about is it's really going to be emerging you know that without that we aren't going to be I think we're gonna get over the idea that we're losing something by enhancing our natural circuitry with mm-hmm. our synthetic circu- circuitry but the definition of synthi- synthetic synthetic Especially coming from like, you know the guy who made one of the first synthesizers, synthetic doesn't mean uh, fake.
1: It means it was synthesized. It was made. You know. Right. It was made by man, yeah. as opposed to just occurring by na- n- in nature. Although. Right. You know. Man, but it, since we nature,
0: occurred, in nature.
1: man is nature. Right. right? So and what, what we, we do is natural. You know? Yeah. I've, yeah. It is. I mean, by that definition, there's nothing that's unnatural. It doesn't mean. It doesn't always mean that something that man makes is the same as something that occurs in nature, though. Because I think man, as an animal, is is completely unprecedented. And we are making things that might not occur. You know, nature has had mil- well billions of years to refine the way that it makes things. Man is making it really quickly over the past but 100 are, years. I mean, we are nature.
0: You know, like
1: not, yes, but that I we mean, are,
0: nature has made us and is making this shit true, you know, it's not like we're independent of that, and I think like that's an important thing to recognize but so that we're not
1: operating from a place of shame
0: that it, 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 we are an imbalanced and in an extremes, you know at times with this shit, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that um, man's got the ability to to and yes, of course, we're an extension of nature, and everything we do is, but you know. <sighs> Man, man can put um, gasoline and fire together and blow himself up, mm-hmm. and that's not something that the natural world self sabotages itself.
0: Well, animals drown as, themselves. As quickly, you know, and they do they do all kinds of.
2: But I think there's there's things.
1: something different. I mean, it's not outside the natural process, but it's something a bit different. I think because there's just nothing else like well, us. Well, we've been told to think of it as
0: something else different, and and I think some of that. I mean, I'm not trying to advocate for destruction. I'm just advocating or not even advocating for anything as much as like saying, like, let's, this is almost like a, a, you know, this is the slow path to having a stoner aha moment. Like there's so much we take for granted. And some of that is our division and our separation from nature and the universe and this idea that we are. Or our exiles, you know, is very you know another like fucking Genesis yeah. stories. We're kicked out of this state of,
1: of yeah. being
0: and bliss, and all of this. And we are at you know it's original sin. We're doing something wrong. We're fucked up. We're not right. And I feel like having that at the at the core of our actions is what creates the destruction. And if we see ourselves more as like you know, crazily enough, like Bill Wilson says, "This agents of God's ever advancing creation." <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah, the the Judeo-Christian model is what we're still operating under. You know, I mean that this, even if it's subconscious, this idea that we are apart from nature, that we came to Earth somehow, that we're mm-hmm. we're not that we grew out of it, but that we came to it, and that we are somehow either in charge of of uh, you know, dominating it, which was has been the prevailing notion, mm-hmm. still is in the in a lot of world, ways. Let's Yeah,
0: be specific about our context because as much as you or I want to be iconoclasts, we're Western guys. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and we're surrounded by this idea and we're not completely free of it ourselves probably Mm -hmm. at times. Um, It informs our thinking. And it's informed a lot of the way that the Western world has done things. It's Mm -hmm. the way that capitalism um, operates in a very self-serving way without... Without uh, care given to the consequences of what it's doing, and because it's our job to dominate and to mm-hmm. make it work for us, instead of realizing that we're—it's all well. Uh, the thing is, is that we, it, ourselves that we're trying to work right. with. Right. I mean, it's it's important for
0: us to have a paradigm shift and understanding that, like, also with. People who have gotten really good at mass producing things, whether they're tomatoes or whatever, they never sought out, they never sought to harm other people. That wasn't their goal. Their goal was to be really successful at, you know, the capitalism game. And the capitalism game is nature's game. It's like, all right, how many calories do I have to expend in order to get more calories? You know, is this an efficient thing me chasing a goddamn animal as a i'm a cougar and i gotta burn up like
1: yeah is it worth me running a mile to catch something that i'm only going to get x amount of calories right
0: so more and more we've been engaged in how much more efficiently can we manage our existence you know so that we're not constantly running at this paycheck to paycheck kind of existence of of with basic you know subsistence of of life like every other animal does unless except the ones that have made friends with us you know like all the ones that live out in nature they have no plenty no surplus uh you know they just are like today yeah i got to get something to eat i got to get, get something completely to
1: eat in the i got to keep
0: from getting eaten i got to get something to eat and so the reason capitalism is so popular is because it's the most natural as far as what we do Collectivist thinking is not as natural unless it is leading to trusting somebody who's going to get us into that place of surplus. <laughs> you know, like
2: an alpha. Yeah, which does
1: happen. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, plenty of examples of that in nature where there's a, an alpha that takes care of the pack mm-hmm. and so on. But that's not that's not a, a workable. But that's it's model. still nature.
0: I mean, and again, my argument isn't. Uh, against anything it's really for humans saying like we got to get go a little easier on ourselves when we use this language so ca- callously and in, 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 in cast ourselves as destroyers you know and all of this I mean We're doing what comes naturally and and I think before we can stop doing it to such an extreme degree We have to be operating from an acceptance and self like mm. I don't know compassion For you know that we are who we are you know we are we are the product of millions of years of evolution it's been had a very you know had a really focused purpose of survival and we got really Mm -hmm. good at it so good that it's become imbalanced the pendulum has swung too far Mm -hmm. in the other direction and you know we got to
1: yeah balance is required exactly I mean we're not going to change our nature overnight we have to uh, balance it rather but yeah, this fits in with what you were saying about science. When science is is constantly, when I say science, I mean the, the hard line, rigid science, mm-hmm. you know, not, not what science. Do, what do the, you call that, anyway? I don't know. There's got to be a scientism, maybe. That's a term <laughs> I've heard, <laughs> you know. Really? Scientism. Mm-hmm. Um, they're constantly explaining things in a way that makes it sound it's disempowering they're not doing service to us i feel when they describe us as basically machines that mm-hmm. are operating in a way where it doesn't really matter that everything is is composed of random random events leading to this nothing really matters there's mm-hmm. no there's no reason behind why this is happening it it takes responsibility from away from What's really going on? I mm-hmm. think, and it also it feels intuitively wrong to think that way. But there's in a lot s- of ways
0: those guys are in denial, and there's the yeah, most and it. But people. it's a <laughs>
1: it's a harmful way to teach people to think. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's doing harm in a, right, in a sense. Right, just that part of
0: the sentence. It's just this. That's all. Yeah, they're like, it's, don't it's worry. And yeah. Dismissive. And, and, that, and it's a miracle that we are biological machines that operate. Uh, yeah.
1: Computers. I mean, <laughs> belittling it is is really, I think it's absurd to belittle it that much because not only does it just kind of, you know, it's like saying, you know, oh, the you know, life occurred on this planet and it's the only time it's ever happened that we know of. But, you know, don't think anything of it yeah. because it's no big deal. It's just a big
0: fucking accident. Yeah. You
1: know? So don't get any big ideas about, you know, thinking that you're... Spiritual it's being <laughs> that,
0: that says to me that it, it, in the same way that I was born with a fearful paranoid bent, um, or I developed one by the time I was an adolescent or whatever, it might even be mental illness. You know, there's a, a certain kind of person is drawn to science that really needs to like be reductivist and like. You know, and, and not, not all of them. Like, I mean, there are plenty of people who are very well balanced there. And there's yeah. a guy who's now a deacon of the Church of England who was on the team that discovered the quark. And, you know, his answer is always is like that he believes that an intelligent being created a this context. And this context has to operate al- by certain rules in order for it to be anything at all, like for it to exist. And some of those rules mean that we get earthquakes. And hurricanes and floods and all of that because it's part of the fabric that holds it all together but for there to be a fabric there has to be gotten going to certain kinds of systems you know from the subatomic level all the way up to the macro
1: you know mm-hmm. planetary
0: level and to think that there is some ultimate beneficent control over that is um, and, and if there isn't then that means nothing exists Uh, is a fallacy, because it's like, why is that necessarily, you know, uh, a non-colliding universe necessarily, like, the best model of a universe, the non-destroying, because the destruction is creation over and over again, you know, and, like, for that that to be the system and for that to be the rule, then we have to be part of the egg that gets broken sometimes. I mean, we can't take that so personally, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm paraphrasing... What he says there, but it kind of, it comes back to, I think, glimpsing, I mean, what I have now, without fucking with my brain, I mean, other than the way it might collaterally have been fucked with by what I've done, you know, in the past, I can hear all of the heave-ho kind of shit that's going on in my body, that there's a positive force trying to live in me like I can hear it and I can sense it. It, it it that is what informs my basic faith and understanding that there is something something miraculous going on that there is another sort of collective consciousness besides the ego that I use all the time to go out and function in the world that is making my body work uh-huh. you know, I'm aware sometimes of the it the, almost the way that they characterize it like there's a whole little army of dudes like, you know, inside your body yeah, operating strings it, yeah. and shit. Yeah. Right? Because that's literally true. Like oh, we are a bunch of cells and each cell is an individual colony of energy production and waste disposal right. and all of that. And it all has to work with the other cells to make organs and all of this kind of stuff. So every moment of your life you're this huge cooperating organism. You know? Yeah. And there is um There
2: is a will
1: to that shit. Yeah, I guess you could say that's kind of what life, in the big sense, is. It's doing something here. Is it's got? I mean, it seems to me that there is an agenda to what's going on, and and if everything is being operated by you know cells by by the desire to proliferate itself, life and. Whether it's an animal, a plant, human—if um, you extend that outward, it's going to keep—it's going to keep proliferating itself as far as it can, and it's going to get off the planet because. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to happen.
0: It came from off the planet.
1: And, yeah, and therefore, it. No, I feel like it's intrinsic that life knows that it can't stay on the same planet forever, mm-hmm. so we're building ourselves up to getting off the planet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're making a lot of detritus along the way that isn't really useful for that purpose, but it's, it's entertaining along the way.
0: Yeah, if you think that there is a narrative to the big bang the dispersal of all of this primordial material and that congealing and and forming the first generation of stars and then those blowing up and coming back together and starting the second generation of stars which then creates carbon and all of this other stuff um that you know eons ago something wanted something (laughs) there was a desire happening and it's a, a i mean a unimaginable length of time that it takes for this project to be realized but this project is like I mean it's basically coming from nothing to something and wanting to go somewhere even if it's back where it came from you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like constantly looking but but with with organs and and appendages and things to act with you know as opposed to
1: yeah it's complexifying You know, it's, I mean, the only thing we've got to go by is life on this planet. It's the only real model we know of, but life is complexifying. It's not going backwards. No one would argue that. It's getting more complicated. It's getting more agile. It can do more and more things. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a race between education and disaster to see if we... (laughs) Get over these hurdles that we're at, where we could really fuck ourselves over. I don't think it's we're gonna end it. I, I just don't think I we're don't gonna either, end it for I, I ourselves. Think but that, that 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 tension
0: is still there. Like the tension between the destructive and the constructive. Like yeah. the balance is there. Like really, ultimately, you know, like and you can be a nihilist and be depressed about it and pick the side that's pulling the tension in the negative direction. You know. Or you can go on the other side where it's a little sunnier and pull the tension in the positive direction. But I think with every. It, it, I used to tend to think of like the paradox of, of creation is that it creates all destruction. But I'd say now that the paradox of destruction is that it is all, there's all this creation attendant with it too. That like my spiritual life has grown because of the internet, you know, my ability mm-hmm. to access podcasts. Information, you know, watch videos of Alan Watts and Neil deGrasse Tyson and all of these other people who seem to have a handle on something kind of magical. I can basically go out and seek all of this stuff from my chair, you know. Yeah. I can, I can astrally project, <laughs> yeah, and travel, you know, and, yeah. and pick up all that stuff. And so, yeah, people are jerking off to people shitting in each other's mouths on there, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's and that, and that's that's part of the the process i guess mm, that's perfectly natural too it's just shit. <laughs> that's one of those things along the side of the road that i was talking about that we might not need but maybe we need it um yeah i mean you know there's so many we're not going to put an end to it i don't think but there are a lot of things that we could do to ease it along you know there's a lot of things that that we're doing the in ways that are not efficient
0: and we, and we, you and we, me, have to be the ones that do that stuff.
1: So. Yes. Every one of us, every I, has mm-hmm. to do that. Because it's not... You know, we could we could seriously set ourselves back as a species if we don't make some wise decisions at some of the turns coming up, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could set ourselves back a, a long time, hundreds of years. If we don't get it together, we could fuck our... And, environment up to the mm-hmm. point where we don't have the ability to, to technologically progress for a while.
0: I agree with you, and I think that, for me, the way I see it now is the best way to keep that from happening is to have esteem and to think the human race is worth preserving. You know, Because if we do just say that we're just this and we're just that and we're destructive, like, uh, out-of-control viruses, I mean, that was written by a person, not a computer, that said that in the Matrix, you know? That's a person's image and projection of what we are, that we're a cancer, that we're a virus, that we're toxic, that we're destroying. And, and, and having that self-image is self-destructive, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once you decide that's what you are, then you're, yeah. you're kind of resigned to believing it.
0: Prophecy, right? And, and so I think it's really important for us to address what needs to be changed without having, without always being attended with so much outrage and shame and anger, you know? Like, that's the thing that I really just want to fucking discard. I, I, I'm, I consider myself a liberal, but I'm not down with all of this emotional outbursts around trying to further um, the good ideas that come around that. Like, that it, you're not going to get a person to see your way if you're shaming them yeah. in the
1: process. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? not an effective way to make change, to, uh, to shout in their face that they are, you know, that's...
0: Evil corrupt
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's an emotional response to a problem and it's not productive. It's right. not the the it's not the way to handle something like that. It's a, it's a knee jerk response and it's mm-hmm. emotional. It's immature.
0: So each one each
1: one teach one. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean,
0: that's just We back to teaching though. I want it like cuz we're if I go a whole lot longer, I don't care if these are long, but the longer they get, the more I have to reduce the bit rate. Right, the quality goes down. Yes, and a question that occurred to me is like, I mean, whenever I compare your art to what I know, I'm not meaning to reduce it to being like Roth Baxter or anything like that. That's what I'm aware were influences of yours back then. And I don't, and, and then I, so you're saying like you're, you're Andrew Wyeth and maybe Albert Durer and like those... Kinds of people?
1: Yeah, to some degree. I mean, others as well, you know, more obscure ones than that, but. um,
0: Like engraving people, like really meditative, like the kind of people that really did fine detail drawing?
1: Yes, partly. Partly. I'm just saying that, um, I mean, the influences that you're citing for me, that you know of, of me, which are all accurate, are stuff that I was more into back when I was when much we younger. Yeah, together. yeah, and 20 years ago, yeah. I was more <laughs> directly influenced by that stuff. I've just, you know, I've evolved a bit, as, as right, a, everyone does. Right, but what
0: I'm still seeing, which is what you post on...
1: Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Facebook so you're that is kind of an extension of...
0: Frank and, you know...
1: And Heavy Metal Magazine, and yes. Yeah, that sort that's of what, stuff.
0: That is what peop, There are people who seek you for that.
1: Yeah, and you're good yeah. At that. I I do feel a certain... <laughs> I do feel a certain obligation to to deliver that sort of stuff when it comes to social media stuff like that. Admittedly, because um, that's part know, of your brand. Yeah, yeah, it's advertising. That's the yeah. way I look at these things. You know, uh, Instagram for being the prime example. It's an advertising platform. Mm-hmm. I don't use it to take pictures of um, my personal life. For example, I don't put pictures of my daughter on there. Right. Not even myself. So far,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because I, well, but,
0: but because of that, I, as a close friend of yours, whose only connection to you most of the time is Facebook. I have no idea what else you're doing. I know
1: that's, <laughs> that's the sad part is that, that for my friends who I would really like to keep it with, I, I just, I could make, you know, efforts to, to do something else mm-hmm. where that could be just that. But, um, it's partly that I don't want my my personal life on the online because I know that everything.
0: And so the same goes for your personal art, the art that's not as like high on fire. No,
1: no, no. I I have no problem with putting stuff that I'm happy with on there. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm not I don't want to only do that kind of stuff. It's not mm-hmm. what I'm only into. I'm trying to get away from the image of only being associated with that stuff. But um that stuff is fun. And um, I do feel like uh, people like to see it. And if I'm happy with it, then I'll show it. There's I a, like it a lot, too. Uh, but I, but I kind of yeah. try to give people some fun stuff that I think they like, I would, I like, would like
0: to see what I'll, uh, I... I guess the cover you did for Earth's uh, Bees Made Honey in the Lion's Skull, that was you, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's in a different direction than Guys with Axes.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. The Guys with Axes shit, that's... Um that's uh, a <laughs> holy shit! A UFO. That's
0: my mom. Um, I do need to actually. Well,
1: I'll, I'll get in a second. You were about to take talk to your mom during the podcast.
0: I, I was totally about to do that because you know.
1: Hey mom, can't talk. <laughs> <in the> podcast.
0: <laughs> hey man, you know people do that kind of shit all the time.
1: This is this is pro level. Stop.
0: The guys are really <laughs> successful, like constantly like talking to their fucking neighbors and shit. that turn off the leaf blower okay. and whatever. Yeah,
1: it's, okay. It's a gimmick. Fair wow. enough,
2: <laughs>
0: but I didn't want to get off this track. That's why I didn't, because um, I—I mean, I've seen you do that kind of a thing. That and and I know of this book of mushrooms yep. that you did, and so I assume, I imagine that's very detailed, almost like uh, Autobahn
1: kind of. It's way yeah. more uh, loose than that. It's more like an interpretation, but it's, it, yeah, it's it's more like um, kind of like fantastic nature paintings. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I like doing stuff that's that's a lot more you know nature based in terms of like natural landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, more minimal, modern looking stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. I've gotten much more into and had some opportunities to do because of the sort of jobs I'm choosing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing to do less of the, uh, the zombies with with axes and that sort of thing because. I've done enough of it. I don't want to only do that. It's fun, but there's a lot of other stuff I'm into. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sort of you know picking and choosing where more can I can I, where do. Where can I like and
0: it. other people see that stuff? That we want well,
1: most see. stuff ends up on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that's worth that I feel like putting up there is it always ends up on my website. And what about like sh- do you, do do shows come out of? Every mo- once in a while, I'm having a show. This uh, in... November of 2014 in New York. I'm having one. Um, possibly another one. But November
0: 2014 in New York? Yeah, so almost a okay. year from now. It's good. We'll start, pro-
1: we'll start pushing it now. Yeah, you have to mention it every time, every podcast from now on. That'll cost you. One drawing <laughs> of Ganesh. <laughs> All right. In installments, I guess. Yay, right? you
0: know, um, one
1: yeah, arm per week.
0: That would be a great... Thing, you know, like you 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 do that thing, and I'll be and that and I'll be like you. You'll be hyping that. You can put that date somewhere, <laughs> like Nina. You know, like that dude who used to draw the New York Times. Oh yeah, you subliminally suggest November fourteenth thing in the actual. Um,
1: What's that dude's drawing. name? Was that Hirschfeld? S- something like something. that. Count yeah. the
0: Ninas. There was always like several of them. Yeah, and you put a little number down there. Right. <laughs> so that's the thing like it's interesting when what what's the fine line between stylized like renderings, like having your own like like Aubrey Beardsley, right, you know, how very sort of illustrator kind of um not obviously not representative, but still drawings of people and things from the world and all of that um, and they they stay kind of fine art at what point do you that does the landscape turn into it's just comic book and cartoon you know when really it's this a lot of times the same it's all the same well, skill that's, set.
1: it's <laughs> yeah. a matter of time before before lowbrow art becomes hot, fine art it's happening mm-hmm. now that's why stuff from 40 years ago is now considered fine art i mean not fine art but it's considered classic illustration right right it's a it's a matter of time it's also why you know, things that were not considered... You know, that's why Pusshead is such a huge artist now when he wasn't right. really that notable in Some the 80s. Some of
0: that is just that hype fucking shit that people like to get on, you know, like not... I mean, Pusshead and Kozik and Coop and all of those guys, like, we've there's a generation of kids now that just... They weren't around for it the first time. What it is that I guess originally enthralled us by things <laughs> that yeah. were yeah. before our time and yeah. whatever.
1: I think time is on your side if you if you are an, an artist in this on this level that um, where it's going to work in your favor. Whereas you know y- the the separation creates the some sort of mythos you know about you,
0: you as an artist because it was a while ago. The more valuable your art is you're too much a part of the the modern context and it's like seeing how sausages are made or something yeah. <laughs> but if you can project a whole bunch of shit onto a person hmm. that doesn't live anymore or, well, or is past his prime or whatever just well, they,
1: they, they attain a certain st- legendary status after a while it's like classic mm-hmm. rock you know mm-hmm. like music gets better with age or it used to and now it gets worse with age because yeah i, I hate
0: like, <laughs> i can't stand led zeppelin now like i really can't. oh i still like led zeppelin i know you do and a lot of other people do but they they like I tried to listen to Led Zeppelin Three the other day, and it just felt so fake to me like they, these guys they looked the part and they were like they fit in with the whole thing, but okay well, yeah. you just
1: don't like them, but other bands <laughs> I mean I want to. Well, it's, it's but, but, happened, yeah. okay, but that's not categorically true. Of I mean, there's other bands from that same period that yeah, you like would Neil say are Young, get I, better to you as you yeah, get older. I like actually,
0: I would prefer to listen to Crosby, Sills, and Nash from around that time period, like the late '60s uh-huh. and early '70s, right now, because I think that's heavier than uh, okay. Led Zeppelin, well, that's just like, a matter
1: of taste, yeah. yeah. But the the point is the same. You know, things things get. Usually, I mean, if you like it, it gets better as time That's goes awesome on. And the people I was
0: actually listening to me say
1: that on here. And a lot of hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe you don't like Zeppelin. Crosby stills a Nash, you fag.
0: <laughs> you. We could have to do some more of this, man. I got to wrap it up. It's we're at uh, to you know, hour and forty, but okay. we'll have to come at it again. And, uh,
1: wow! The only time, I, the only way I can tell I've been doing it this long is because my back is in pain from yeah, this chair. Chair sucks. Yeah. Oh, okay. wait
0: a minute! No, it doesn't. That's my new chair. Oh, this it's is awesome. the good one. Okay, yeah. I couldn't tell. You just can't sit in those kinds. Of, they're no, they're meant to keep you from relaxing. <laughs> You're supposed to stay at attention and be polite. You know, it's a polite society chair. I
1: yeah. Just it. my style.
0: <clears throat> All right. Um, we could just keep going on and on, um, but we're not going to. So. I'm just gonna say bye, Eric. We're gonna I'm not saying goodbye to you, but you get sick com- g- goodbye to
1: everybody. goodbye goodbye.
0: Thanks. There you have it. that's Eric Roper my buddy. and that was a uh, I just remembered there was a really cool episode on being recently uh, where a science guy and a faith lady were talking. And, uh, you know, I'm a big, I mean, I'm a big proponent of science. I mean, I love it. And I hate, I mean, I hate blind dogmatic faith. But I also feel a sneaky suspicion that, um, or I don't know, maybe it's not a sneaky suspicion. I just become increasingly aware of the fact that science is awesome, but it still is only really interested in talking about what it defines as, um, you know, it's, 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 it comes across sometimes as a big picture thing, but it's a big picture thing uh, that can only be talked about in certain language and understood in certain language and understood in language, period. And there are things beyond language that I'm convinced of, and there is no empirical proof. Uh, there's no experiment you can do. Um, everybody's got to have their own experience of the thing that cannot be named, defined talked about, formulized, set down as a law or a theory or anything and I believe in that and the validity of that which is unknown. Um, It seems to be fascinating to me. I have an instinct about it. I have a sense about it. It's there for me. If it's there for you then you know what I'm talking about. If it's not, then hey, you know, it's no big deal. You know, it's cool. uh, I'm actually engaged in a uh, bit of a a different kind of spiritual quest. I'm actually looking for some kind of organized uh, meeting slash religion sort of a thing to do on a regular basis with my, with my girl because I, I, I want something organized as a part of my life, but uh, I'm not going to be accepting any dogma from anybody because uh, I am a cat person.
2: Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be on a microphone. I'll talk to you later.